I'm Shobaraka, and this is George Fox Talks. And today we're going to talk about a biblical approach to DEI versus a secular approach. Hello, George Fox family and friends. I am Shobaraka, author and artist. And today I am here with Jason Faleta, actual friend of mine. And he is the Associate VP of Inclusive Excellence here at George Fox University. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have an excellent conversation. First question is, who allowed you to just come up with that name? (laughs) Who just said, you know what, make up a title. That's a really good question. (laughs) You know, there was a whole lot of people who gave the green light to that title. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So you uh, do a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion Mm -hmm. in your role. How did you get involved? What? How did that become a passion of yours? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, to me, those values that you just listed, mm-hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of us, when we hear those words, we forget that these are our values, part of our like system of how we think the world ought to be, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, those values are 100% rooted in my faith. Yeah. In, in what it means to follow Jesus and my understanding of what his kingdom is, what his rule and reign will look like in our world. Mm-hmm. And so my route to those particular values in this particular position really began with me becoming passionate about justice in general um, as, a, as a young person and specifically the, the plight of the persecuted church yeah. and for me, my exposure to that was like the persecuted church in Egypt, because yeah. uh, that's where my family comes from. And I just knew as a child, God didn't intend it to be this way. Mm. Like God didn't intend for certain people to experience severe discrimination, violence, and oppression on a personal and systemic level. And even as like a kid, I just knew that that's yeah. that's not God was not delighted by that. God was not okay by that. And so my whole faith journey has been how do I honor God by doing something about these wrongs in the world? Did you, you know? grow up Coptic Christian? So my family is Coptic ethnically mm-hmm. and my parents were part of something called the Coptic Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. which is like the the Protestant breakoff of the Coptic Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. It's not a very old denomination, but mm-hmm. so we. I went to the Coptic Orthodox Church for like weddings and sometimes to go shopping because mm-hmm. um, like after the service, people pop their trunks and are selling like cheese and bread and fava <laughs> beans and stuff. So that the was my Egyptian charcuterie board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was like my exposure to the Coptic Orthodox Church and weddings. There are many people out here who get into the DEI space yeah. for bad intentions because it's big business now. Yeah, It is it's big business. Some people get into it for bad intentions, false pretense. There are some people who think it's totally unnecessary. Mm. Change their minds. Ready, set, go. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that diversity, equity, and inclusion as a value system has now been packaged and is an industry in and of itself. In fact, after 2020, there was something like a 200% increase mm-hmm. in jobs related to yeah. those issues. Interestingly enough, about half of those have now been eliminated. Yeah. So it was like a flash in the pan. Um, 
but it's an industry. Like every morning I wake up to sales emails, maybe seven to 10 per day that are like the five ways to be more inclusive in hiring, download our course, you know, or buy our service. So it's very much like an industry and there's a lot of money to be made. Um, And I think what's really important, whether you're skeptical of the industry emergence around these values or you're skeptical of the ideas in general, I think what's always important for Christians and how we engage culture around us is to step back from our time and our space. Go back to the timeless things of Mm. our faith, the values that are rooted in God's character, that are rooted in scripture, that are rooted in who Jesus is is currently not who Jesus was. Yeah. But, you know, the Jesus who's alive listening to us talk about him right now yeah. has character and has values and has teachings. What are those? And what do those say about our world right now? And so, I just encourage people to step back from the really polarized uh conversation that's happening kind of at this level. Yeah. And actually rise above it and say Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't need to be on this side or this side of these issues. I'm going to step up and look at this through my faith lens and see like, what does God have to say about this? You know, and I think what you will see is God values deeply diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, all these things. So you've talked about it being industry and you also said there are values. What's the difference? How do you parse out, um, you know, these timeless truths in the scriptures to say, these are values that have been communicated mm-hmm. in scripture. These are things that are still prevalent today and necessary today versus the industry of it all. And how do we, yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, one of the ways that I see these ideas kind of sold as commerce mm. <laughs> is, uh, that it's fairly shallow. So yeah. like the bar that you need to meet is pretty low. Like, do we have some type of, you know, diverse population in our community or are we engaging with and eating ethnic foods or these kind of shallow engagements, which those totally matter, by right. the way, like there's nothing wrong with these things. When we view specifically like diversity as a value it must go much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's It can't be like as a Christian, my value around diversity won't be satisfied by going on a tour of multicultural foods. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be satisfied by, you know, hearing a worship song in a couple different languages. Mm-hmm. It's really, I know because of what scripture has taught me, like what God's reign and rule and therefore kingdom looks like. And all people are welcomed and thriving in that kingdom. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're doing? And that's like the value measure. It's just a much higher bar than I think the industry measure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask a question and you can feel free to, we can feel free to cut this out or not answer it, but it's just spark something that I can already tell we're going to cut this out. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, in light of that, <clears throat> there are, there's an end go to this work yeah there are times when people want to see an end and maybe the heart of the people don't change in producing that end 
is it still satisfactory mm. to see it in despite people's yeah. heart change? That's a really thoughtful question. So like to play this out, the end goal might be. I can we, give you an example. Yeah, I've yeah, been, I've been yeah. in conversations about, let's say, reparations, a reparations fund that was to, to be started for a group of people. Um, and there were people who were saying, well, we want to definitely create a foundation or a fund. But ultimately, we want the people who are contributing to this fund, we want their hearts to be changed, to be really empathetic, sympathize with the, the historical plight and maybe the conditions that create the need for a reparations fund. And some folks are like, if they don't, that's fine. We still oh, get okay. the end product, which is necessary for people to have a flourishing you know, life, et cetera, et cetera. Is it okay to operate in that particular posture, do you think? Mm. And at what point is there a need for us to 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 marry, I guess, the two? Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, we always want to. Let me say this. We always hope that heart change is the the precedent for the right thing. The right thing. Yeah. But what if it's not? Yeah. I have <clears throat> no real definitive answer but I have a couple of thoughts that came to mind. So one is I learned, you know, before I came here to George Fox in when I first met you, I worked in the international development mm-hmm. injustice space and for Christian organizations. And one of the things I feel like I learned in that 20 year journey was when people encounter the God of the Bible, they experience transformation. Amen. Like when someone encounters the Holy Spirit, they are changed. Amen. And no matter how many workshops I do or trainings I put on, at the end of the day, there's no right combination of words that I can say to change someone's heart. Yeah. Like that is the Holy Spirit's work. And so my job then becomes... How do I create a space, an environment where people can encounter God's spirit and be changed? And that change is not directionless. Mm. Like that change that I've seen, and I've seen this happen countless times um, along the way. When people encounter God's spirit, the change is not directionless. They change towards the character of God, towards justice, towards inclusion, um, towards the values we've been talking about. And so, yeah, I guess in answering your question, I don't know, like if the, I guess, enforced end product is as important as that transformation, or if it's still valuable, even if the people encountering this process don't experience change, I really like creating a process where I know there is space for Mm. people to encounter God's spirit. And, and I feel like that's how we create lasting change. Just broadly talking about social change, the way it happens in a lasting way is through transformation. So we can enforce the right things. Um, and sometimes going through the motions like helps us, mm-hmm. you know? So like I think about spiritual practices and like the Orthodox approach, for example, to prayer is like you recite these prayers um, whether or not you're feeling it. You recite these prayers, whether or not you feel God's presence and spirit. You recite these prayers and it becomes 
part of your DNA and God works through that, right? Yeah. So the practice of spiritual disciplines isn't a mission of weakness and yeah. And and limit you're saying like I do this because I know I have limitations. Yeah. And I need these things. But Henry Nowen has a quote where he talks about hospitality is not forcing change, but creating a space for people mm. to potentially change. And I like that. And yeah, I mean, whether or not the heart changes immediately, the goal is to at least allow space for Yeah. And it seems like that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. At least create space. Create space and and also help people bust out of the categories and worldviews that the culture around us have given us for thinking about some of these issues and just break out of some of the hotly contested and polarized conversations and really try to rise above it and talk through things in like a biblical way. So let me ask you that then. So what is the difference between the biblical rootedness of DEI in which you are operating out of? I'm trying. Trying. Well, you, you're doing it. Apparently you're excellent at it. Because I'm, I'm super excellent. That's, your, that's your title. So um, don't try to backtrack now. And so versus the secular rootedness yeah. that we see and many people who have turned it into, you know, and they're obviously they're doing it for good or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But what for is sure. the difference between the biblical rootedness versus the secular rootedness? Yeah. Um, we already talked about one, which was the because there's varying degrees of secular rooted pursuits yeah. of diversity. Yeah. Right. So one was that the the bar of excellence is pretty low in mm -hmm. some of those frameworks and is easily satisfied with, you know, a poster on the wall that says peace in 12 languages. Yeah, right. No offense if anybody watching has one of those posters. They're yeah, awesome. I have one in my house. So now I'm I know it you down. do. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I want you to take it down and burn it. <laughs> um, the demands of the Christian worldview are not easily as easily satisfied with posters and slogans and bumper stickers that that is a higher bar where we really are reattaching these values to justice and the concept of shalom that we see in scripture Amen. right yeah so that's one of the differences i would say another difference um and this would be with like a different category of what i see playing out in the secular culture around pursuits around diversity is our mandate does not allow for us to use unchrist-like tactics right. to achieve Christ-like ends. All right, come on. You man. know what I'm saying? I, I know what you're saying. I don't what, know if they know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> the verse I always think about is like, and this is sort of this is definitely taking this verse out of context, but the phrase like just summarizes it so good uh -huh. is when Jesus drives out this demon. And some of the onlookers say, like, I think he's using the power of the devil to right. drive out that demon. Right. And someone asks, how can you use yeah. evil to drive out evil? Right. 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 So in that context, the, our context is slightly different, but I, I've seen a lot of harm done yes. in the name of, of justice. Oh, I've right. seen so much injustice, harm, Come on. and fear, yes. and guilt, and yes. shame, and unforgiveness in the name of pursuing like grace and justice yeah. and peace. And so that doesn't compute with my biblical worldview. Yeah. Like I want to be the fragrance of Christ to people 
in my anger at injustice even. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've been in, in, in spaces where Christians don't even like the word reconciliation. Yeah. And I'm like, how, how, when did we yeah. boot that word out of the, yeah. our, our lexicon? I thought the whole idea of us as being agents of reconciliation, yeah. we are, we don't have the luxury to not yeah. seek reconciliation. Well, I think about this too. Like I've personally, so much of my like work in this area and the, the teaching I get to do on it is rooted in a lot of different stories in scripture, but especially like writings of Paul. Mm. And I think about uh, Saul uh, before he was Paul and the conversion that he experienced of like the fiercest oppressor yes. to now uh, like one of the foundational yes. authors of the New Testament. Would someone be allowed to experience that conversion today and remain in the church? That's a great question. That is a great question. Yeah. No is the answer. <laughs> like we, we would not allow it. Yeah. It, Here's the other thing about that <laughs> statement. I mean, about that pericope of, 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 of scripture is that Jesus also says, um, reveal to him how much he will suffer mm -hmm. for me. And there's a lot of suffering that goes along yeah. in this work. Big and time. oftentimes Big time. we, we enter into it thinking it's, it's all going to be applause and roses. Yeah. But you think about great leaders of the past who wanted to see great reconciliation and justice. They suffered a lot. Big time. And that does not remove us from experiencing the same. I have noticed that there are a lot of Christian thought leaders who have departed in a way that you've communicated. They've allowed this, this great principle of justice um, to, to pull them away, to operate in ways that I don't think is rooted biblically, or even they've left the faith yeah. entirely. Yeah. Right? How have you maintained your Christian fidelity yeah. in operating in such chaotic times ever mm. since the political kind of like tensions have intensified within our nation and then mm -hmm. the pandemic. And we've just, we've experienced issue after issue and that has led many people astray Yeah, because they felt like either the church or the Bible has been, is, is, has not been, it's not useful to answer these questions. Yeah. And they've been pulled away by sociology and sociologists, yeah. but you have remained rooted in biblical Fidelity, how and what will be your counsel to people who are on the precipice of breaking? Hmm. That's a that's a very good question. Um, so when I look at friends of mine, because I have plenty of friends even who have gone down the road you've mentioned where they've awakened to injustice in the world. Maybe it's racial injustice. Maybe it's something else. And they have seen either the church's um, lack of response or inadequate response, or in some cases per perpetrating of the injustice. Yeah. And it has just slowly driven them out. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you're asking me how I've remained. Well, I have never confused the actions of the church, specifically the North American church with the character and nature of God. All right. So we're going to end the interview right there <laughs> because that was a word, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. in, in seeing that, and I went through my own angry process. I was just much younger. Are, yes. Yeah. I was about 12 
and I entered into a private Christian education. Like my yeah. parents were able to get me a spot in like a private Christian school. And for yes. them, immigrants from Egypt who had been facing so much discrimination in their lives, et cetera, for me to go to a school that was Christian was like the most incredible opportunity. And at that school, I experienced severe exclusion. I experienced discrimination. Mm -hmm. I experienced blatant racism mm -hmm. from classmates. I experienced all these difficult things that, to me, rubbed up against who I thought Jesus was and what mm -hmm. his people should be like. Mm -hmm. So I had my phase as an adolescent yeah. of raging against that machine, you know? Yeah. But honestly, like, I just matured over time yeah, and absolutely. I read scripture actually when I was in college, I returned to scripture. I never like walked away from my faith because I had experienced God's presence. I had seen miracles with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. I had experienced God's provision for my family. I had seen prayers answered. Like, so I couldn't deny God's existence, but I was definitely like, I don't know how Jesus fits into everything. And I don't know about Christianity. And it was because of my anger at the experience I had with my peers as a child, you yeah. know? And it was reading scripture for the first time, cover to cover, where I was like able to do that sorting mm -hmm. of, oh yeah, this is who God is. Mm -hmm. That stuff is not. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a, a fallen, you know, embodiment of, what these people thought it meant to follow Jesus, right? Yep. And that I'm not going to confuse that with who Jesus really is. And you that's been, yeah. You, that, you, it seemed like you had an opportunity to process trauma and experience the messiness of the world at an early yeah. age, yeah. which then led you to a place in your faith into Jesus, not the institution. Because oftentimes I find like some of these folks are just waking up realizing, oh, the world's messy. Yeah. And that wrecks their whole world because they place faith in platforms, institutions, mm -hmm. rather than actually placing faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it muddies everything. It muddies everything about their beliefs. It muddies everything about who Jesus is. And it oftentimes I wonder, is like, did you actually really love, and I know this is very, this can be, uh, very short-sighted on brushing with broad strokes, but did you yeah. actually truly believe and trust in Jesus or did you trust in the opportunities and the platforms? Yeah, that he gave? in a culture and community yeah, you yeah, were exactly. a part of, right? Because right. we all feel that deep connection with, yeah, yeah of course we want to connect with our And people get people one to the Christian culture. culture oftentimes before they get truly converted into the Christian yeah. faith because it's, it's just a beautiful thing. You see people yeah. loving each other. And then when that community becomes the perpetuators of sometimes the evils, it, yeah. it can be disheartening. And then you're like, well, is this real? Is this necessary? And yeah. So being tethered to like Christ for me has been way more important than this or that institution. But I would also add what helped me a ton in these years, especially was being so connected to the global church. Yeah. So not centering the North American church as the center of Christianity. In fact, it's a pretty new expression yeah, 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 of right. the faith. And instead, like having deep exposure to like African theologians and African Christians, Asian Christians, Latin American Christians, and theologies from all over the world, and realizing, oh yeah, the if we're talking what who the 
typical Christian is in the world right now, yeah. it is a woman living in poverty with black or brown skin. Mm. And that's actually, when you think Christian, that's who you should be thinking of. Yeah. That's actually the most typical person who's a Christian right now. And so my exposure that I was very fortunate to have through my work in global justice issues to the global church has also helped me stay very tethered to my faith and kind of not get too wrapped up. Um, Cause honestly it's an act of like ethno supremacy in some ways, if you yeah. want to use that term to really center the North American church as like the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And so then your reaction to that church even in your intense reaction of walking away from it and ordering your life around not being like that is still centering that mm -hmm. like it's very Western supremacist in right, a way, right. you know, without realizing like, Oh, the global church is alive and well and thriving and doesn't have all of the issues maybe that some of our churches have. Yeah. I have, I have a few friends who believe that, the idea or the practice of multicultural churches and multi-ethnic churches is a failed experiment in America. Like it's, it's just not worth all the work. Um, why is that not true from your perspective? And for those people who are still trying to be active in this particular work, specifically in like churches, universities, etc. Um, when we talk about diversity, it often means that minorities have to assimilate into majority mm -hmm. spaces. How do we change that? Or is it possible to change that? What hope do we have as individuals who don't believe that this is a failed experiment? Who are these friends? Some no, of them no. are. <laughs> Some of them are here in the room right now. Some of them no. wear a brown jacket and blue jeans. Uh, <laughs> do you really want me to answer that? No, no. Okay, I'm just, just kidding. Like, like I, I know you didn't want me like name the person, but like maybe I didn't know if you were asking like for me to give yeah, reasons yeah. and. No, I get it. Of, yeah. Uh, one of the beautiful things that drew me to this university actually was there is a very well written and thought out theological statement on racial and ethnic diversity. And this is one of the like board of trustee approved theological statements of the school. It's not something that was written in a crisis that was then tucked in a drawer. Like this is a huge mm piece of the university's identity and aspirations. And I think one of the phrases in there that I love is that like the Bible mandates diversity. Mm -hmm. um, when we are told about God's kingdom and what his rule and reign looks like and what heaven will be like, we know that it will be diverse. We know that it will be all people, every nation, every tongue, etc. And so even if it is nearly impossible for us to embody that fully right now here on earth in our institutions, whether they be universities or churches, organizations, anything that's like rooted in Christ, like a faith-based organization or institution, it still is our mandate to a, to a try, mm -hmm. you know, to aspire. And I do think that there's plenty of ways we can learn 
from like the attempts that have been made in the past, right? So I think what you mentioned of diversity actually being code for like, we have met our minimum of requirement of minorities. They need to assimilate to the dominant culture to succeed here. And then that's our diversity, right? We should not be satisfied with that. We should look at, because we've all, many of us who have operated in dominant culture spaces have had this experience where it's mm. like, oh, I'm, I only succeed here if I act the way I'm supposed to, or if I think the way I'm supposed to, or if I like the right authors, thinkers, pastors, preachers, etc. Um, we should learn from that and, and try harder, basically. Mm. Like create spaces that are allow people to be fully who they are, which is what God's intention for them is. Like, like God doesn't want us to all conform to one thing. I mean, one of the most fascinating things about the New Testament is all of the Jews who are convinced that Gentiles have to become Jews to follow Jesus. Mm. I mean, they are so convinced mm -hmm. that they try to get the church in Galatia to mm -hmm. circumcise mm -hmm. adult males. <laughs> and Paul comes in there and he's like, no, <laughs> be a Gentile. Like, right. like he gets really upset. Yeah. Uh and does not want conformity. He wants conformity to Christ, not to any one culture, any one way of thinking. He right? calls them fools as well. Yeah. <laughs> he calls them fools. He actually says he wishes he could go circumcise them. <laughs> it's like, a pretty violent. That. You don't it's want like that a, smoke. You don't want that pain. Yeah, it's, it's a violent part of the Bible, actually. Very, very. He's like, I wish I could find the people teaching you this lie and give them a cut snake. them. Yeah. <laughs> You might want to not include this. <laughs> Talking about castration on George Fox talks. Paul said it. Yeah, you can <laughs> find B roll. We're gonna actually find B roll of people getting circumcised and insert that. Adults. Put a little disclaimer at the bottom. Yeah. All right. So that was a complete thought, right? Yeah. Somewhere it was. in there. Yeah. Okay. It was good. You're taking good notes, I can tell. So you know, like which areas to. All right. We're about to we're about to end this thing right here. We are. Right? Okay. Do we have enough to work with? Okay. Um, all right. So Jason Faleta. Yes, sir. Associate VP of Inclusive Excellence. Yes. Just imagine you're locked away for a year. And you have to write the greatest book on justice and diversity. Yeah. And there's a few things that I'm going to allow you to have in this cave. Oh, okay. As you're locked away. One is just a book. What book is that? What book? It's just one book. This is a really good question. He reads so much. Could it know. could it be a a series? I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Walking with the Wind Taylor Branch Civil Rights uh, series. Okay. Um, talks about John Lewis. Yeah. There's like a biography of him. There's just a lot of details of the ins and outs of the civil rights movement in America. And for me, what was really profound about those books is seeing what a church based Christian movement that was. Yeah. And that 
often get sanitized for our like oh, public education around the civil rights movement. Absolutely. But while people were marching, while people were doing sit-ins, while people were doing all the public activities, there were other people praying. It was a twenty-four seven. It was movement. a yeah. It was a hundred percent. Yeah. So it, we definitely in, removed. We sanitize it in ways yeah. that are just ridiculous. And we also act like we have to come up with modern techniques to stay grounded in in scripture and in christ while pursuing social justice or racial justice mm. where it's like we don't need to come up with anything it's happened before yeah successfully right. and yeah. powerfully like it changed it changed the air we breathe you know yeah. and it's definitely being co-opted and appropriated in ways in many spaces too so yeah all right so you so i got that the, that book oh, okay books with if i were to ask you a book around diversity and Injustice, would you just one book for other people? What, mm -hmm. would, you, what would you recommend? Uh, a book that really just other than, other than my book, he saw that it was yeah, good. he saw that it was good by that Joe can, Baraka that you can get anywhere. That, books are so there's an audible that book changed my life, well. yeah. Actually, I was on a dark path, he was going, he was definitely, and he was. I was I was exploiting. You were exploiting everything. people. You were yeah. doing justice in a wrong. terrible way. I was doing it wrong. And you then I were read the that, problem. I read you that. You were book. absolutely the problem. And then I said, "Hey, read my book." It was like my conversion moment. And then the Lord just brought all kind of great opportunities to you. <laughs> he you did got this job at George. Before Fox. this job, I was nothing. <laughs> Don't start crying now, okay. Jason. Okay, let's um, just move on. Let's just tough do it. What was the question? Oh, a book about yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think a book that many, many people need to read is called Until Justice and Peace Embrace mm. by Nicholas Waltersdorf. The book is actually an assembly of lectures he gave at the Free University in Amsterdam in the early 80s, maybe late 70s. But he's a philosopher, and one of the most critical things he does in that book that really shaped my worldview was teach what shalom meant in a yeah. biblical sense in the in the hebrew what is this concept of shalom and that's what justice and peace embrace is and he talks a lot about just what does scripture say about these things that yeah. we've missed because we've lost touch with what it meant to the people reading it one of the biggest highlight moments this is more information than you yeah, wanted but i'd love up. to share this is I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but he talks about <laughs> the Greek word in the Bible that we've translated in English as righteousness. Mm. The very same word, word dikaiosune, when it's used in Plato's Republic, written you know mm -hmm. in the same language, we translate it as justice. Mm. So if you reread the New Testament, knowing that, how do verses like "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice" mm -hmm. hit now? So yeah. that book's incredible. Everyone should read it. Excellent. Uh, you have one meal that you can eat for a year while you're writing this amazing book on justice. Yeah. What is that meal? Cottage cheese. Wait, just cottage just, cheese? Just plain, boring cottage so cheese. So my book did not work, apparently. Because <laughs> you're trying to kill yourself still. Well, I'm just thinking <laughs> like the, cheese? the, That's it, the thing I could eat no every meat, day. There's no anything else added to the just cottage cheese. It's a food I didn't even try until I was in my like late thirties. I'd never even been exposed to it. And then I'm I was like, this is so right good. 
Every spoon cottage, is packed full of protein. Is there like a, is there, what does cottage cheese save your life? What did it do? Like, I don't understand what's happened. Are you trying to get an endorsement? To the cottage yeah. cheese? What is happening? This is, all right, I'm moving on. That was terrible. Move on. We're going to strike that. Food's, food's not a great topic. Hey, remember me. to cut that, cut that out. I, I, I eat like popsicles and candy. Like I don't eat a lot. So you don't eat real food. food is what I'm hearing right now. You popsicles, candy, and cottage cheese. <laughs> you care about the yeah. shalom and the health of the world, but you don't care Not about yourself. myself. You for just sure. like, I just, I don't believe Let in it burn. myself. You know, just, <laughs> just like, I don't believe in this body. I have like major I'm here for dispensational the, the year, the year eschatology related to He's myself. He's in my eschatology. <laughs> I believe in it. <laughs> Right. I am waiting for that. We're giving body. them a lot of editing. Stuff. No, this is staying in. This is staying. This is absolutely staying in. If I All have right. any power, this is staying in. All right. So, uh, one album that is that you hear, man. I want to listen to this thing all day. Mm. It could be These a- are really challenging questions. These are the hardest questions of the interview so far, I guess. Yeah, these are really hard. <laughs> these are like too personal. <laughs> um, well, the people we're trying to get, you know, you said yeah. you've only been here for what, a year? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we can, people are getting to know you here. Um, and they know you have terrible food choices. <laughs> I'm like really struggling with an album. All right, a song. Just oh, okay. give us a song. St. Like John, The Best Part of Life. Okay. That's been on repeat like for about a year. Okay. That's a good one. Also, you've already been... Doing this process. Yeah. Okay. A film. One film. And is there a film, if you can answer one personal film, go ahead. No. I was going to add, like, so I was going to say a personal film, just a film you love, and then maybe a film related to justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Film that I love, I would say... These are really hard for me. It's way easier for me to talk about theology and sociology and all this stuff. A film that I really love, um, the Denzel Washington is Malcolm X. So it's an amazing Malcolm X. It's an amazing film. It is amazing. And actually, the autobiography of Malcolm X is an amazing book. We everyone should read that. We're past books. We're past books. You've already (laughs) said some Nicholas Nachendorf or something. I don't know. Waltersdorf. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last one. Oh, I'm scared to ask this question. <laughs> I'm like, if ru- I'm honest, I'm, I'm very like, scared. I'm like ruining the lighthearted section of the podcast. <laughs> no, this is actually gold. This is really hard. For Forget me all to the serious do. stuff we were talking yeah. about. This is the part I love. So, there, if, is there's one self care mm. practice or habit that you really, yeah, have to continue? What would that be? Just being in nature. So encountering God's creation, natural beauty, rivers. Giant ancient trees, uh, the ocean. Your car is like a moving sediment. Like it is just. <laughs> I got in that thing, and it was all types of like beautiful rocks, yeah, and pieces of wood. I was, I was like driftwood, is, yeah. It's, and I actually cleaned it really good before picking you up. No, I'm not saying so it was messy. Work. I'm just saying like yeah. it was, like the way you had it displayed. Cone, the presentation was great. As well yeah. as you know, the presentation. My car and house are like natural history museums and geological, yeah. you know, exhibits. There's just so I'm going to ask you another question. Minerals. Hopefully you can answer this in 30 seconds. Got it. What about nature do Christians need to reconnect mm. with? Like in our 
just our theology, our, our, our posture in general. Yeah, I think we need to, and this will be another great episode to do someday. Yeah, absolutely. Is really see God's creation as our job to care for and ensure the shalom of. So that this concept of shalom, all things thriving, mm. extends not just to people. It's for yeah. all things God created. And mm. I also, I have found as someone who worked in like activism for you know, a couple decades, nature to be the most hope inspiring um, source that yeah. I could find because I would see like a tree that has been there a couple thousand years Amen. and it'd be like, oh, God's got this. <laughs> yeah. Like this tree has been here doing its job through all the things humanity has done Amen. and it's still here. And it's still here. And so I think that's a. Um, a whole nother topic to explore someday. Ladies and gentlemen, George Fox family, what I've learned today is that justice is just not a passing fad. We should engage nature and eat a lot of cottage cheese. <laughs> Give it up for my brother, Jason Falato. Thank you. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.